As you're turning to Ruth chapter 4, uh, I want us, we did this last week, I just want us to kind of get like the whole scope of Ruth. It's a story. I'm, I'm just going to remind us where we're at, what we've been learning. What, we said last week that the theme of the book of Ruth is this. God works his saving plans through difficult circumstances. We see God at work saving people, redeeming people, but he does it in and through difficult circumstances. Remember, we began with a man named Elimelech, and he led his family out of the promised land, and him and his two sons died, and there was left a a widow, and then her two daughters-in-law who are now widows, and so they return home, but we see Naomi is just reeling from it, and she's bitter, and she's upset, and we learn to lament, to bring our pain and questions to God, and then we see Ruth, surprisingly, this, this foreigner stick with Naomi to go back to the promised land, and we learned of this biblical love, the, the word has said, steadfast love. And then we see God start to bless Ruth, and, and, and we see his favor upon her, and, and we learn the value of returning, of returning to God, repentance, returning to his people, returning to the places and spaces God promises to bless. And then we, we see uh, this example of a biblical godly man, Boaz, in, in the time of the judges when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, there's this exception, this man named Boaz who welcomed Ruth into his fields and was generous. And then we see Naomi uh, devise, as mother-in-laws do, this scheme to get her daughter-in-law uh, married. And so she sends Ruth in the middle of the night to essentially propose to Boaz and he would become their family's redeemer. Uh, which is a, a phrase that he would essentially take them in and care for them. And the, he would provide a son through Ruth who would inherit the name and the land. And so he agrees to do that. Yet we find out at the end of chapter three that there's this problem. As, as the author of Ruth is a good storyteller, there's this, you know, it's like right before the happy ending, something wrong happens. We find out there's this other man. We don't know his name, this other redeemer. And so Boaz has to pursue this man and has to figure out if he can truly marry Ruth or if this other man wants to marry Ruth. And so that's where we find ourselves. Now, let's read chapter four. We're just gonna read the first 12 verses. The title of this sermon is A Better Redeemer. We'll read Ruth chapter four, verse one through 12. I love Carol's scholarly shout out to the ESV. It's never good when it's essentially literal, but, you know, it's like, okay, okay, it's, it's literal, essentially literal, it's pretty literal. Anyways, Ruth chapter 4, verse 1 through 12 says this. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders and of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, 
I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. And then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Epaphrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give to you by this young woman. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. It is perfect, Lord. And you have the words of eternal life. Jesus, where else would we go this morning but to you and your word? Lord, thank you that you speak through your word. It's living and it's active. It's what the spirit of God uses to speak to us, to comfort us, to guide us and correct us, and ultimately to show us the glory and person of Jesus. So would you show us Jesus this morning? Please show us Jesus. Lord, we're needy people this morning. Uh, we're imperfect people this morning. So we, we need another. We need another redeemer. We need you, Jesus, a perfect redeemer who would come after us and fight for us, pursue us, and call us to yourself. So show us yourself. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's be honest with one another. Who of us does not face difficulties and disappointment? Who doesn't long for more out of life? Who here does not struggle with the daily grind? Who doesn't feel the thorns and toil in our work that we read of in Genesis 3? Who doesn't long for rest and peace and joy? Who doesn't long for deeper more meaningful relationships. Paul testifies to this fact in Romans 8, 22 and 23. Look at this verse. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This, this reality that we are groaning, waiting for our redemption um, can make a text like this difficult and for a few different reasons. Um, you can read Ruth chapter four and I could preach Ruth chapter four this way. Come to Jesus and he'll do Ruth chapter four for you. You come to Jesus, your life will circumstantially be better 
It will be more emotionally fulfilling. You will be more prosperous. You will have better relationships. Just keep on praying and fasting and soon enough, your own personal Ruth chapter four and deliverance will come. You will find a perfect spouse. You will find a dream job. You will cease to struggle with hardship. And Romans chapter eight tells us that's just not true. That is not the way to read Ruth chapter four. And in fact, Jesus is so clear on this. If you want to come to him, he says, count the cost. If you want a, a Ruth chapter four life, you, you may be a better idea to go find another savior who will offer you those things. Because what Jesus says is to follow me is to lose your life, to deny yourself. You will struggle with the flesh in the way the world will not. You will struggle with temptation. You will struggle with selfish emotions. And, and to come to Jesus in this life is not to have a Ruth chapter four experience. It, it may, and it may not. Maybe it's a Ruth chapter one experience. Maybe like Naomi, you will lose some things. In other words, the point of Ruth is not the happy ending. Come to Jesus. He's going to bless you. You can find that message. It's a best-selling message. It's not the message of Ruth chapter four or the Bible. Another difficulty when we come to Ruth chapter four is this. Great for Ruth. I sure wish it happened to me. Who, as, as, as we long for heaven and redemption and something better, it can be very frustrating when we see God bless somebody else. I'm glad they got a spouse. I'm, I'm glad they were blessed with a child. Oh, great. I'm glad they're happy with their job. I'm glad they just got that inheritance or that vacation and fill in the blanks. And when we read Ruth chapter four and our experience doesn't feel like Ruth chapter four, uh, it can be very difficult. We can often just not even identify. I don't want, like, this is not my story. Clearly, there's not a place for me in my story. This is not how my life is going. And again, God is, God is not promised us in this life a Ruth chapter four happily ever after ending. So know this, when we read the story of Ruth, in fact, every story in the Old Testament, it is a signpost to a more truer, more important story. A story when humanity is even more desperate than Ruth found herself to be. And where humanity's only hope is for God himself to come and be the redeemer. For God himself to pay the sacrificial price, not, not just to rescue us out of physical debt and a temporary unfortunate circumstance, but to pay an eternal spiritual debt and promises an eternal redemption where Jesus lays down his life to redeem for himself his bride. That's the story. That is your story. Though you we're more desperate than Ruth and far from God and dead in your trespasses and sins. Jesus loved you and left heaven for you, lived a perfect life and paid your debt on the cross. He rose again, that if you repent of your sin and come to him, you will find true eternal life. That's what Romans 8 is talking about, redemption. That word redemption means a full ransom, a full release, a full deliverance. And that's why until that day, we groan. Until that day, we long for that full redemption. 
And so as we read Ruth chapter four together, and as we look at Boaz, we get a, a glimpse, a shadow of the truer story, the truer redeemer who came to redeem his bride. And that's our story. You can find yourself in that story. And so we're going to look at these verses in four chunks. Um, the, the first two verses is, is under this heading. Boaz is an active redeemer. Boaz is an active redeemer. Let's read the first two verses again together. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he, that's Boaz, took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. Remember what happened a few hours before this scenario at the gate is Ruth goes to him and he says, I will redeem you, but, but there's this other redeemer, this other man who has the right to redeem you first. And then the, the chapter ends, chapter three ends, Naomi says this, it's the very last verse. She says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. We see Boaz on a mission to get himself his bride. He is active. In fact, first thing in the morning, he gets himself to the city gate. Uh, the gate in ancient towns wasn't just like a walkway. It was more of you would walk in the, 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 the gate and there would be like a square and there'd be benches and legal business was, was done just inside the gate. It was like a little plaza inside the gate. And so Boaz gets himself to the gate and, and then notice we meet this other redeemer the narrator spoke of, Boaz spoke of. And, and I love this. The, as we've been seeing in Ruth, the, the author is masterful in his language. And even last chapter, as we were learning, we love Boaz and we love Ruth. And then we're like, wait, there's this other guy? Like he's gonna marry Boaz? It, that, that feeling continues. The author goes to great lengths not to name him. Um, when he says, uh, turn aside friend, that phrase in Hebrew is poloni almoni. It's like a, it's a, an expression, a rhyming expression that roughly means Mr. So-and-so. It's like, come over here, Mr. So-and-so. Like as the reader, we're not even gonna know his name. It's just some ordinary guy. He's not a particularly wicked guy. He's just some Mr. So-and-so. And, and this man is simply going throughout his day, completely unaware of the city. He doesn't even know what's going on with Naomi and Ruth. He, and so he's just kind of passing through, but, but we see Boaz pursue him. And, and notice this, this is important. At every step in this text, Boaz is contrasted with this other redeemer, Mr. So-and-so. We see this stark contrast. And, and what it does is it highlights the amazing a nature of redemption, the amazing character of Boaz as the redeemer. So this man's just passing by and Boaz is pursuing him and he's like, come over here. Boaz, we also see Boaz had, had a plan. This was thought out. He wasn't just kind of, you know, maybe I'll see what I can do. Maybe if, you know, he gets up early, he has a plan, he sees the man, he pulls him aside and then he goes and gathers the elders. Boaz is an active redeemer. Church, you have an active, initiating redeemer, even better than Boaz. Did you know that Jesus planned your redemption? Did you know he didn't just wander by and be like, oh, that person looks like me, maybe I should help them. 
Did you know your redemption was planned before time began? Did you know that? Look at this verse of your redemption in Ephesians chapter one, verse four and five. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And not only does Jesus plan your redemption, he doesn't just passively sit in heaven and say, work your way up to me. Come find me. Come, come and find, good luck finding, finding I, I, that expression, I found Jesus, is such a, it's a, such a backwards expression. Jesus left heaven and came for his lost sheep. Jesus got his hands dirty. Jesus didn't just plan your redemption, he made it happen. He actively seeks out and pursues his bride. Look at these verses of what Jesus came for you. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Look at this in the Old Testament, Ezekiel 34, 12. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And then even this, we don't always think of this as Jesus pursuing us, but look at John chapter one, verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The Bible is so clear. You didn't seek him. He sought you. He pursued you. He initiated your redemption. And, and to make it even uh, more stark, the Bible goes as far to say is you couldn't seek him. You wouldn't seek him. Paul is quoting David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he says this in Romans chapter three, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. No, not even one. And then Jesus just says it straight up. John 15, 16 you did not choose me, but I chose you. Church, the truth is not one of us would be redeemed if it were not for our active, engaged Savior and Redeemer, Jesus. He came for you. If you were a Christian, he came for you. It's not an accident. It didn't just happen. It's not just because your parents were Christians. You were sought out by Jesus, pursued by Jesus. And he bought you and he redeemed you. See, Jesus is a far better, as Boaz is a far better redeemer than Mr. So-and-so, Jesus is a far better redeemer than Boaz. And then the next thing we learn of our redemption and the end of Boaz is this, we'll see it in, in verses three to six, and it's this, Boaz is a certain redeemer. He's a certain redeemer. Look at verse three through six. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, 
The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. You see, what we see here is this other man was an uncertain Redeemer. At first he says, sure, what a great deal. Just uh, an old uh, widow, of course I'll buy her land. I'll, sure, I'll support her. She'll die soon enough and then I'll have something to add to my inheritance. But when Boaz mentions he would also acquire Ruth, a younger widow, who it would be fitting to marry to fulfill the purposes of the leveret marriage, to redeem the name, to have a child, the other redeemer is like, oh, actually, I can't redeem it. Uh, And this is because the new information means not only would he require a young widow, uh, young enough to have a child, but that the inheritance would pass on to their child. And so the man would actually not really gain anything at all except for two widows and then just giving this inheritance to some other family. In contrast to that man, Boaz is a certain redeemer. In chapter 313, right before this, when Ruth was proposing, Boaz says this in verse 13, as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. He's banking Ruth's redemption on a promise of who God is. That's a certain redemption. Boaz doesn't hope uh, Ruth will be redeemed. He fights for his, his bride. He's even strategic. He even gets the guy on the hook and the guy's like, oh, cool, yeah, what a great deal. And then he's like, oh, by the way, now that you've committed, you inherit two widows. And you notice he says, Ruth, the Moabite, from the, who, who's, whose husband died that you inherit. And he just keeps like dropping all these qualifiers. And the guy's like, oh my gosh, I have to marry Ruth too. Boaz is, is strategic and he's fighting to redeem his bride. Church, your redeemer is a certain redeemer. He doesn't give up. He's not this other guy. He doesn't just say, you know what? All right, I'll redeem you. Um, and then like, oh wait, I, he gets more information. He checks over your file. And he's like, ooh, actually I'm not, I'm gonna you know, rescind on that redemption offer. He doesn't say, I'll redeem you and then see how you perform and say, hey, do you know what? I'm out. He does not do that. In fact, we see this truth again in Romans chapter eight of the certainty of your redemption. Theologians call it the chain of salvation. It says this, those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. You see, as surely as the Lord lives, he would not rescind on his own character. If he predestines you, He's not going to not call you. And if he calls you, he's not going to not justify you. And if he justifies you, if your sins have been put away as far as the east is from the west, he's not going to not glorify you. If you don't perform well, if he begins it, he will finish it. He is a certain redeemer. We read this last week, Philippians 1, 6. If he starts something, he will complete it. Ephesians 10, you are his workmanship. Your redemption is not of your own hands, your own works, your own worth. He doesn't look to you as this redeemer did to Ruth and look at your resume and say, do you cut it? No, he redeems you. It is certain. Peter testifies to this in this verse, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. According to his great mercy, 
He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now pause. You may say, okay, well, my inheritance is safe in heaven, but am I gonna get there? Good question. Look what he says. For you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God is guarding your redemption because he bought it. It's his. He doesn't waste his money. He's guarding what he bought, your redemption. And then this is such a beautiful promise in Jude 24. Look at this. This is how Jude ends his whole book. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. God is fully able to keep you in your redemption. And now, before we move on, I want to make a few of these points practical for us. Uh, because Jesus is an active redeemer, because your redemption is certain, uh, you know, people have a hard time with this. They may say, well, you know, if you tell someone that, you know, then they're just going to go do their own thing. They're going to go their own way. They won't be holy. They won't evangelize. They, they won't stick with Jesus. Now, that's a fair statement, I guess. But if you were to think about Ruth for a minute, think about what a strange thing for it to be Ruth's attitude to see Boaz's devotion to her. And then she was like, oh, do you know what? I think he's really going to redeem me. I think he's going to follow through. I guess that means I can just go sleep with whoever I want now. W- would that be her response? Of course not. Of course that would not be Ruth's response. Church, no true child of God who has been redeemed and filled with the Holy Spirit and given a new heart would keep that attitude towards Christ. That's why the Bible says, if you love God, you will obey him. It just goes hand in hand. You have a new heart that loves God. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will. Our obedience isn't a a keeping thing. It's not a performance thing. It's simply proof that we have been redeemed, that we have been changed. We're not earning our salvation. Jesus earns our salvation. But, but our, our life displays that we know him. That's why the Bible over and over says you'll be judged by your works. It will be proof that you have been redeemed. Uh, look at where this is fleshed out in scripture. Paul says in Philippians 2 verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, which sounds terrifying, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. What we are not saying is you have to, on your own, keep your own redemption. What we are saying is if God has redeemed you, God will work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. Therefore, we love to obey him. We love to evangelize. No one who has been redeemed by God will will say, do you know what? Yeah, I don't know if others should know this. We know that it is through our obedience as we do this that God saves more people. That, That is why the commandments, such as Matthew 28, 19, we know this, the Great Commission says this, go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, I've redeemed a people for myself, and they will obey this. 
they will obey what I have commanded because they're mine and, and go teach others to do that. We would never say, you know, you don't need to go. The nations are going to be fine. No, this is God's means for saving the nations. And one more nug on the nations in Ruth. In his sovereignty, he included the nations in the very bloodline of the Redeemer. Isn't that cool? Jesus was a Moabite. Did you know that? Jesus had Moabite blood in his veins. He had the nations in his blood, the same blood he shed for the nations. It is a certain redemption. Therefore, we're not complacent. We, oh, the Holy Spirit would not let us be complacent. We run to obey and share the gospel with the nations because our redemption is certain. What's the alternative? My redemption isn't certain. I gotta obey. Just fear. Just, I'm not sure if I'm gonna make it. No. It does say fear and trembling. It's a serious deal. There are those who would say they're redeemed who aren't redeemed. It's a serious thing. But for those who are redeemed, they will work out their salvation. They will obey Jesus. So we have a certain redemption. The next thing we see is this. Boaz is a sacrificial redeemer. He's a sacrificial redeemer. He's an active redeemer. He is a certain redeemer and he is a sacrificial redeemer. Look at verse seven through 10. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech, all that belonged to Chilean and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance, his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. You see, this other redeemer was unwilling to sacrifice his own inheritance. He was unwilling. He'd care for the poor as much as it would benefit him, as much as it would benefit his inheritance. Boaz was willing to give up his own inheritance to bless and redeem Ruth and Naomi. This marriage was sacrificial. He even says, I'm doing this for the dead, for the name of the dead, that his inheritance would go forth, that his name would not be cut off. Boaz is sacrificially giving his inheritance, what is rightfully his, to pay for this land and to care for these widows and ultimately give that land to that firstborn son. Uh, Now, I want to be fair to the other redeemer for a minute. Uh, when in Deuteronomy chapter 25, when God lays out the laws for how this redeeming thing should work, when a, a husband dies and the brother comes to marry and, and preserve the name, it only refers to the brothers and, and it stops at the brothers. Uh, it's clear that these two men are not brothers. They are not duty bound by the law of God. They are simply relatives. This man didn't even know the situation. They're just relatives. Uh, Therefore, there was no technical obligation before God for this man to redeem Ruth. He didn't have to do it. 
You didn't have to do it. Furthermore, it's, it wouldn't make sense financially. That's, that's okay. It's okay for us to be wise. Uh, he would pay for the land and then provide for these widows, and then he would give away land. He was like, I, I can't do that. And maybe it would put his family at risk. So, so that's fine. But Boaz, in contrast to this man, is, and we, we saw this last week too, Boaz isn't appealing to the law of the letter, I have to do this thing. It's my duty before God, I have to obey. He's appealing to the spirit of the letter in Deuteronomy 25. He was not obligated to redeem Ruth and Naomi. And last week we saw he, he extended integrity beyond what was required of him. This week we're seeing Boaz extend sacrifice beyond what is required of him. And, and just pause on that for a second. We often view the Old Testament and the law with a good riddance, thank, thank Jesus, that's over attitude. Like, thank, thank you, God, I don't have to obey all of that stuff. Kind of like this minimal, like, let's get rid of that view. That's not how Boaz viewed the law of God. He didn't say, you know, what's, what's expected of me and I will do it and no more. He, he was like, what is God's heart in his law and how can I obey that? We see Jesus have that same attitude to the Old Testament. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus takes these Old Testament commands and he expands and broadens their scope. He calls for a deeper adherence to God's law and obedience from the heart. We often view God's word as this law that has to be obeyed when David over and over again in the Psalm says, how I love your law, how I love it. And we see godly people say, what's the heart of God in the law? And how can I obey even further than what he's required of me? That is the attitude of one who has been redeemed. I love the word of God. How can I know it and obey it to even far extremes so that I can display the heart of God and love and compassion it calls for in other people? And so, unpause on that, Boaz is willing to sacrifice his inheritance and pays a costly price to be a redeemer. He was willing to lose his own inheritance, at least part of it, to give it away. He was willing to sacrifice himself his well-being, to get himself his bride. And who does that sound like? Who does that sound like? Jesus went to great extremes to sacrifice himself, to redeem us, his bride. And I want, I want us to, we know that truth. I want us to feel it a bit. Uh, church, I want to read a few verses out of Ezekiel 16. And I'll preface it like this. We often assume um, God owes us redemption. We often assume, have this attitude of this like divine entitlement. Of course he would redeem me. He should, he's God after all. I'm not that bad, he should redeem me. Uh, Ezekiel 16 gives us this picture of, of what we were like and, and, and this picture shows us to be worse off than Ruth was. And I want us to feel how incredible it is that God would re-sacrifice himself to redeem us. This, these verses are a picture of all of our state before we have come to know Jesus. This is what it says. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations and say, thus says the Lord God to Jerusalem, 
Your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling cloths. No, I pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you. But you were cast out on the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And when I passed by you and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, in your blood, live. I said to you, in your blood, live. And I helped you to thrive. We were like that. And God came to offer his own son, to sacrifice himself, to redeem us. And not only were we, did we start like this, I, I didn't read it honestly because it is so gnarly, but the rest of this chapter goes on to say, he raised this child, he adorned her with beautiful clothes, he put jewelry on her, and then what she did is she left him and whored herself in prostitution. And she went and spent everything God had given her on herself and on her desires. And so then he again comes to her and redeems her. And and it just goes on and on and on. Church, we didn't just start like this. We have all, we have all walked away from God in our sin. Said, no, I know better. And of course you will redeem me. That was our state. A spiritual debt, an eternal separation from God. You see, church, sometimes I think we come to church expecting, you know, God, just make my emotions feel better and let me just get my quick fix so that I can go on with my own way. And we forget that redemption is eternally significant. We forget that, that we had an eternal debt separation from God and our redemption was no small casual gift. Jesus had to die for our redemption. First Peter chapter one, verse 18, you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ. And then he goes on to say, as a lamb without blemish or spot. The price that was for our redemption was the blood of Jesus, that our debt could be paid and we could be redeemed in full. And because Jesus paid this great price, The Bible, there's some application here for us. The Bible says, you're not your own. Your life is not yours to do with whatever you would want to do. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Our redemption should cause us to long to glorify God with our body. Our desires are no longer our master. Jesus is. And we say, Jesus, I'll obey you. Look at Titus chapter two, verse 14. Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. If you want to know someone who's been redeemed by God, look at someone who is pure, who is not lawless, who is zealous to obey God. 
when, when the redemption of the blood of Jesus like sinks into us, we become pure. We long, we hunger and thirst for righteousness. And again, this is not to say we don't struggle with sin. This is not to say we fall into temptation as Peter does, as Paul speaks of in Romans 7. I don't do what I want to do, but it speaks to this desire in us. I want to glorify God. And when I stumble, it grieves me because I was, I'm better than this. I was bought with a price. I'm adopted by the, the, I'm a son and daughter of God. This is not fitting for me. It pains us when we sin. And so we return to Jesus. We return to the one who has purchased us by his blood freely, not by our works, but by his grace. And then the last thing we see of Boaz is this. Boaz is a praiseworthy redeemer. Boaz is a praiseworthy redeemer. Look at verses 11 and 12. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Epaphratha and be renowned in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez who Tamar bore to Judah because of the offspring the Lord will give you by this young woman. Uh, Suffice it to say, the other redeemer was a fool and missed out. He is an unworthy redeemer. He is an unpraiseworthy redeemer. And ironically, this is incredible, in seeking to preserve his own name and his own inheritance, he was never praised and he wrote himself out of the story, the greatest story, and literally wrote himself out of the genealogy of Jesus. And yet on the other hand, the elders and the people recognize this act of redemption by Boaz and they praise him for it. And, and what's amazing, they didn't even know what they were saying. They didn't, and, and there, maybe their words could be better understand as a prayer, like a blessing, like may this thing that's so wild come true of you. May the Lord bless you like he blessed Rachel and Leah whom the tribes of Israel came from. May you be built up as the Lord built up Israel. May you, this new couple, be worthy and famous and renowned in Bethlehem. May your offspring continue in the line of Judah. It's like this prayer, it's this blessing. They didn't know what it was they were saying. And what's so, so glorious about reading the Old Testament is we know more than they knew. We know what happened. God actually answered these prayers. He does bless Ruth and Boaz, as he did Rachel and Leah. He does build up their child to the point of being the greatest king, the great grandson, the greatest king of Israel. Their names will be forever remembered in Bethlehem. We are speaking their name, what is it, almost 3,000 years later. And their offspring did continue in the line of Judah, not just to be David, but ultimately Jesus, the one who would redeem his bride, their name is renowned. Boaz is worthy to be praised for what he did. And, and so while this, these people were just hoping maybe that God would answer this prayer, and, and though they were just praised for this short, you know, temporary, beautiful act of redemption, you have a redeemer who is far more worthy to be praised than Boaz that would leave his throne, sacrifice himself, redeem all who would come to him. He's worthy to be praised. 
That is what we do here. We are about praising the name of Jesus. Are we blessed in that? Are we, do we receive help in, in, in that? Yeah, for sure. But the point of why we exist, why we have been redeemed is for the glory of Jesus, the name of Jesus. So church, may we learn to look at Jesus, his sacrificial redemption, his certain redemption that are banked on his promises and come and praise him. And if, if you have yet to come to Jesus, if you've heard some of these truths and you're like, I don't do that. I don't, I don't love the Lord's commandments like that. I have, maybe it's I've failed to do this. I have failed. I've been about myself, my name, been selfish. Listen, come to your Redeemer this morning who went to the cross for your sins of this week. Bring them to him. Look to him, to your Redeemer who will take away all of your sin and will guarantee your eternal redemption. Jesus, thank you for your love and your blood that you shed for us on the cross. Jesus, thank you. You were willing to pay the price for our redemption. Jesus, thank you. You were willing to sacrifice yourself and your blood was literally shed. And on that cross, you experienced the wrath of God for our sins that we would be redeemed, called sons and daughters of God. And Lord, now as we come to you, as we look to you, as we seek to praise your name, Jesus, would we be willing for our own name and inheritance to fade away? That your name would be praised? And like Boaz, we, we see that kind of an inheritance is far, far greater. To be included in your inheritance is far more significant, Jesus, than anything we could go seek and find for ourselves, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our faithful, these giants of the faith, our, our mother and father, spiritually speaking, Boaz and Ruth. We thank you for them and the example of them. Lord, would you raise up men and women in our church, in this church, who are like Boaz and Ruth? That we would not live for our name, our inheritance. That we would sacrifice any way we can that the name of Jesus would go forth. That we would love your word, Lord. We'd think rightly, have the right attitude towards your commands, not begrudging obedience, but just this joyful, how can I obey Jesus? And Lord, now we thank you that because we have been redeemed, you've called us into your presence. Thank you that you've given us a down payment on that inheritance, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you minister your word to your people? Would you lead us in repentance and in confession? Would you lead us in sacrificial giving to others? Would you lead us ultimately to glorify Jesus, to praise Jesus? Wake up our hearts, Lord. Lord, remove anything that's kind of blurring who Jesus is and his glory and his majesty. When we look to you this morning, Jesus, would we stay in worship? For that is why we exist.
for your name, your great name, Jesus. And then as we go this morning, would we go as a people changed, filled with your spirit, zealous for purity and good works, the name of Jesus would go forth.